The best products often come from a frustrated consumer who couldn't find a great solution for themselves. Here's an example. Laura Armstrong wasn't a hairstylist. She was a frustrated event planner who was traveling a ton for work and struggled to find the right hair products to travel with. She couldn't lug all her tools and hair products around, and the only dry shampoos she could find came in aerosol cans, which were banned from carry-on, and they turned your hair white. So, like any entrepreneurial-minded person, Laura created her own. Using ingredients you could find in your kitchen, Laura created her own formula and packaging for an all-natural, travel-friendly dry shampoo that matches your hair color. That's right, you can actually pick your own color and scent and make a personalized dry shampoo. Almost three years in, Laura has expanded her business, Dirty Blonde, into a hair and skincare brand that generates over $5,000 a month in revenue a solid side hustle on top of her day job as a marketing and event planner. In today's episode, Laura takes us behind the scenes of her operations, sharing her process of developing an all-natural formula. We go into depth about what all-natural means and why it's important. A big part of Laura's mission with Dirty Blonde is to help reframe the way we think about what's dirty or what's clean. It turns out scrubbing our bodies with soap was a pretty novel idea that took hold in the 50s and 60s, but new research shows that while soap is great for killing germs and bacteria, overcleaning ourselves can lead to allergies and sensitive skin and bigger problems, so we could all use some simplifying of our hair and skincare routines. Laura also shares some great tips for small businesses, including what you need to do before launching your product, how to bucket out your time when you're working on a side hustle on top of a day job, and how to make the most out of Instagram and Facebook ads for your business. If you enjoy this episode, I would love to know where you're tuning in from. Take a screenshot of the podcast and tag me on a story. All right, on to the show. This is Inside Out with Jane Z, the podcast that helps you build a thriving business without losing your mind. My name is Jane, and my mission is to help you build and grow your business while staying physically and mentally fit and having time for the people and things that matter in your life. Join me every Tuesday as I sit down with an entrepreneur who's already building their dream business. We'll walk through their business journey, their tips for success, and strategies for time management so that you can stress less, do more, and really take ownership of your future. All that right here on Inside Out. Welcome to the podcast, Laura. Hi. Let's start with yourself and your background. I'd love to hear about why you started Dirty Blonde and what your background looked like before that. So I started Dirty Blonde almost three years ago now. By day, I'm an event planner. I travel a lot for work and a big part of that is staying in hotels. And for a lot of women, the idea of having to wash your hair outside of your own home is a bit daunting because you do need, you know, a lot of tools to get it like back to life, a lot of products. So traveling with that, especially when you're only allowed to carry on when you travel, just it's it's time consuming. It's a hassle. So I was like, there's got to be a better way. And that's when my friends were kind of up talking like dry shampoo to me, but like it's something I had heard of for a long time, but I had tried it and I always had a really poor experience with it. It was, you know, an aerosol can, it was white, it was sticky. It got everywhere. It made my hair look gray. 
it was just not an ideal situation for someone, you know, on the road, especially because it's aerosol, you can't take it on a plane with you. Mm. So I was just like, there has to be a better way that's less shameful. Cause it just, it got all over my bathroom. <laughs> it got all over me. Like it was just, oh. it was just such a horrible experience applying it. So I was like, there has to be a better way. So I just started doing my own research on it. And I found, you know, there's a, a way to do a powder base. That's just a lot easier to apply. You can uh, create uh, several different shades with it. And it just kind of appealed to a lot more women because, I found that the aerosol, like the white based aerosol is only for really women with like platinum blonde hair who could kind of pull mm. off that like little extra white coating at the top. It kind of blended kind of okay with their hair so they could get away with it. But for women who had like dirty blonde hair, such as myself or darker brown hair like you, it was just very mm. obvious that we didn't put dry shampoo <laughs> in her hair that morning. So I'd like, there has to be a better way to do this. So I started doing a lot of research, you know, in my own time. And it has been a lot of fun, like building up your own brand and having your own side hustle. You learn so much from it outside of just the product development itself. There's so many layers to it. So I used to be really into like DIY skincare products. I'd like make my own masks and things. Do you use like baking soda or, or is it cornstarch? What are the main ingredients you use? Mine is all natural and I do use a variation of cornstarch. There are a few other elements involved in it as well. Baking soda is actually very reactive to your skin. So it's not suggested ah. to use that. Um, you'll notice that in a lot of like um, natural deodorants that have like a baking soda base, people are having a lot of like skin reactions mm. to it. It's just not, it does do the job in sense of like absorbing odor, but it does, you know, cause damage to the skin. So it's just not suggested to use that. But yes, yeah, all natural products. Um, that's one thing I always kind of boast about myself is that it's all natural, but it's also very simple in, this, in terms of the products that we use. Less is more, especially when you're dealing with your skin, because your skin is like an organ. You need to take care of it. It is a living thing that's on your body. It's, the, it, it's your surface area, right? It's alive. So you need to take care of it. And the more chemicals or products you put on it with more ingredients in the base, the more likely you are to do long-term damage to it. So what did those early days look like of actually developing the product? Like, were you just trying stuff in your kitchen? Uh, pretty much. There was like a, a, a few months of like ideation, what I would like, especially because, yeah, it's the formula itself, but it's also how is it packaged? Is it travel friendly? And I wanted something that fit right in your makeup bag. I wanted something that had like a really nice application process. So with my container, it's a little, it's a flat tin. So it looks just like a compact that you would put in a, like another makeup compact, basically. And it comes with its own application brush that you can choose hmm. to buy or not buy. There's no price difference if you want it or not, but basically just allows you to open the container, dip the brush in and then apply it directly to your roots where you think you need it. So if you already have your hair up and you're noticing it's a little bit, you know, oily in the front, especially around your ears, you can just put a little dab in and it absorbs right away. Um, mm. Or you can go through your hair layer by layer, which is some things I do in the morning, especially on day three, <laughs> like you're on right now. I do start to notice is when I need to start using my dry shampoo. So mm. I wanted the, you know, the formula itself to be all natural and safe to use, but also want the application process to be, you know, exactly how you'd want it to be in the morning, not getting all over your walls, not getting all over your clothes, which is very simple, easy to apply, uh, can take it with you if you want to do touch-ups later in the day. Uh, you can travel with it. It can go right on the plane with you. It's not something that needs to be put in luggage that's being checked, things like that. So I try to consider I all of those things when I was ideating what I wanted it to look like in the end. Yeah. I love the idea of the brush. Cause like if you're just dipping your fingers in, that could get really messy. And also a brush, I feel like feels so luxurious. It's like, Ooh, you're really pampering your hair. Yeah. And I think, um, people kind of forget too, cause there are other powder based options on the market, but it's like, it's in a, like a salt shaker almost. So you're supposed to like sprinkle it onto mm. your head. Um, and obviously that's going to get on your shoulders. That's going to get on your clothes. Yeah. You're going to apply way too much because you can't really control what's coming out. Where like my brush is just like um, a blush brush, basically. Like you can tap it off. You can put as middle, little or as much as you want. 
uh, gives you a lot of control too, which is great. Cause some, again, everyone's head is different. Everyone's skin is different. Everyone's hair is different. The amount of oil you produce in a day varies so much depending on, you know, um, your natural, like microbe levels of your skin, but also like your activities that day, how much you slept that night, you know, do you toss and turn a lot, all these little things kind of come into play. So you can really control how much product you put on yourself. Cause it, again, everyone's unique and different in what they need. It sounds like you had to do a ton of research on skin and hair and body products. Like what did that research process look like? And what are some of the surprising things that you learned? For myself, it really came down to less is more in terms of the amount of ingredients that are in products, especially for things that are mass produced. A lot of the ingredients are meant to be in there just to prolong the shelf life of that product. And it's not really a benefit to you, like using certain types of formaldehydes or chemicals or fragrances. Like those are, a, that's a proprietary statement. You don't really know what's in a fragrance. There's a lot of um, mm. misleading information about what you're putting on your body. Like they may, um, some product may boast that it's made with like coconut oil, but it might be one of the last ingredients added in, which means it's the smallest amount. Mm. Um, so just things like that to consider. So I've really learned a lot in terms of like, turning a product over, reading the ingredient list and understanding that it's listed out from like highest quantity to least amount in that, uh, that product itself. So it does teach you a lot about what you're actually putting on your body. And if you see something of like 20 to 30 ingredients listed on a product, it's probably not the safest product to use in terms of long-term damage to skin, but also in terms of like developing allergies towards ingredients, things like that. Also just learning about, like you touched on, I've expanded past just dry shampoo. I now have, you know, a skincare line that I spent a lot of time researching as well. The business itself is called Dirty Blonde because my natural hair color is dirty blonde and it's always dirty because I wash it maybe <laughs> once a week <laughs> thanks to my dry shampoo. But I was like, I really want to embrace this concept of what does it mean to actually be dirty? Because I, the more research I was doing, the more I realized like soap is something I was introduced quite recently to like human civilization in terms of using it every day, so especially like indoor plumbing. Um, and this concept of like, even our grandparents probably maybe used one or two products their entire life or, you know, indoor plumbing for them, they may not have even bathed every single day. So why is it also this mm. like notion that people are now, you know, showering twice a day using like upwards of 10 products a day on their skin, but they're now seeing an increase in eczema, hay fever, allergens, like all of these things are really kind of creating an epidemic in itself. And it is because mm. of the products we're using. We are overusing products. We're using products with like long ingredient lists that we don't really know a lot about that are causing damage to our skin and it's becoming this like crazy cycle of like developing reactions to things and then buying more products to help solve those reactions that are just causing more and more damage as we go right. along so i wanted to create like a product line that was very simple very straightforward but is completely free of soap at this point mm -hmm. soap is something in our industry that's like doing a lot of damage to our skin and it's, it's a strange thing to talk about right now because like, with the pandemic obviously please wash mm -hmm. your hands frequently that's yes. what it's there for. It's there to kill germs. It's there to kill viruses. But it's not something that needs to be, you know, scrubbed all over your body frequently every single day. It mm. does have a purpose, but I think at this point we've overused it. We're starting to cause damage um, to our skin itself. So really exploring this term of like dirty and like reclaiming the word in a way <laughs> and, you know, introducing something that's very simple that uh, it's good for your skin, but does not need to be overused. And also the idea of it being all natural. I really want to create products that like are beneficial to your skin, but also when they are washed away, don't cause harm to the environment. That's another step I've been exploring too. Just making sure the full cycle is there, like that cradle to grave approach that it is not doing any long-term damage to you or to the environment. Yeah, that's so important to think about that whole life cycle of the product. Last time we talked, I remember you mentioning you were learning about the history of soap and hygiene. 
and how things took off in the last century. What are some ways we can sort of simplify our routines? I think like leaving your hair alone is sometimes the best thing you can do to it by not washing it every day. Because when you do wash your hair, you're stripping all the oils out of it. You're making it drier, which makes it prone to breakage, which is something we always try to avoid, especially for women who want to grow their hair out. They're always wondering like, uh, you can't tell right now, but I have very long blonde hair. People are always like, how do you get your hair so long? I'm like, I don't wash it. Because <laughs> mm. you have to think it starts at the scalp too. If your scalp is stripped of moisture, um, of its natural oils, it starts to overproduce those oils because it keeps getting stripped of them, which just makes your hair look dirtier quicker. So you're kind of like creating a problem that wasn't there to begin with. And you start to notice when you prolong your hair washing days, if you go a few days and you keep doing that for a few months, you start to notice your scalp produces less and less oil. It doesn't get as dirty looking as it used to, if you try to do it, like it's a detox in a way, but I found, you know, the first few days that I went without washing my hair, when I first started using dry shampoo, it was very apparent until I actually used the product. But now I can see, like, I don't really need it until day two or day three. Um, mm. So it just goes to show you my skin's like balancing out to its like natural levels in that way as well. Maybe you can give us a little history lesson here, but like I'll when try. did shampoo and conditioner sort of come on the scene and become popular? I don't know the specific dates, but um, actually I'll do a quick plug here. This is like the book I've been really referencing a lot. It's called Beyond Soap and it's written by a dermatologist here in Toronto. She's had a practice for over 20 years and it's, it's very detailed. You can see I have a ton of little tags in here because I do <laughs> I reference this it. a so lot. Um, it's very detailed in terms of like uh, the history of soap and where it came from. And it's something that it's been used for history and it's meant to like clean wounds and keep germs and viruses at bay. And it, it, it's great for that purpose. But like I said, we've been overusing it for the wrong reasons. And she really touches on this idea of like, we went from a, a need to be hygienic to a need to be clean. And the idea of hygienic was to make sure that we weren't being exposed to germs and viruses that do cause pandemics, that do cause, you know, infections in the skin, things like that. Like soap has a great purpose for that. But at some point, like the market shifted to push it on us to be used quite frequently all the time. So this idea of being hygienic was to keep these germs and things at bay, but this idea of cleanliness is to remove dirt entirely. But our skin is meant to be exposed to dirt. It's meant to be exposed to bacteria. Basically, your microbiome starts to develop as a baby, and you get it from just exposure to your mother, exposure to your siblings, exposure to your family and the outdoor element, uh, elements. But it, mm. a baby is consistently washed all the time. We're stripping them of that microbiome. Mm. And they've seen now that you know babies, there's been an increase in eczema and hay fever, asthma, all of these things, because their microbiome right. doesn't have time to develop more and more bacteria. Because the more bacteria you have on your skin, the more it understands when bad bacteria is there, when bad viruses are there, that it helps, helps build your immune system for those reasons. So by constantly stripping our skin of it, we're just creating a microbiome that doesn't know the difference between good and bad and sometimes can react to things like itself uh, and cause mm -hmm. like eczema and those things that are really hard to get rid of, or sometimes you have to live with for the rest of your life. I'm just thinking about babies that are born today or like in the last year, I bet you in a few years, we're going to see the effects of kids being kept indoors and like not having exposure to other humans and, and outdoor spaces. Like that'll be really interesting to see. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of people are starting to pay attention to this too. I've, I've talked to a lot of women who've recently become mothers. They are very careful about, you know, the soaps they use on their children and how frequently they mm. use it. So I think, you know, the, the general community is starting to pay attention to the products, like where they're coming from, who's creating them, what's in them, um, how they should be used. I think we're also, thanks to the internet, um, have availability to information we didn't have back in like the 60s when this sort of like marketing scheme took off in order to, you know, really expose ourselves to soap. And the one thing I love in this book is they touch on the idea of like the soap operas, which we, I think mm. we all grew up knowing that they existed, whether we watched them or not, but it was, um, 
created by the soap industry. And that's why it's called a soap opera because mm. the commercial breaks are always about trying to sell you soap uh, to use in your families, which was catered towards, you know, stay at home moms was a, a big occupation at the time for women. So they were constantly being you know, bombarded with this idea of like soap needs to be used every day on all of your surfaces, including yourself, all over your children, things like that. And I think mm. now that we have like more ability to research these things, we realize it's not necessarily true. It does not need to be used that frequently. Yeah. Betty Draper and all her soap products. <laughs> That's what I think of too when I was reading <laughs> that part of the book. Yeah. But if anyone wants to learn more about it, I highly recommend this book. It's been a really good read. So I'd love to hear like what it takes to launch a hair care and skincare product today. I know you're based in Canada. What's kind of the process of going from formula in your kitchen to getting it packaged and sold online? What are some of the behind the scenes steps to get it to launch? I think that's the most daunting part too, because I do talk to a lot of women who are like, oh, I love what you're doing. I'd love to do something similar. You know, I've actually always had this idea. Uh, and one thing I've been learning is like, you know, an idea is just a dime a dozen. It's like the execution of getting past that point because it is a bit scary and some people don't really know how to break down those steps. So I just tell people, I'm like, you know what? You have an idea. You don't need to just like throw 10 grand at it. Take it slow. Mm -hmm. Create that Instagram page where you're like starting to build a following just based on the concept of what this idea is. Start to build a following there. Let people know, you know, this product's coming soon. Would love your input, you know. Start building that little wolf pack, people like to call them, that, you know, really mm. support you in what you're doing. There's so many websites now where you can start to buy in terms of, like, ingredients or the packaging itself. And there's so many freelances, like Fiverr.com is great if you want to reach out to a designer who can help you, you know, design the label, design your logo, things like that. My biggest thing, I started off on WordPress and I switched to Shopify, which I found a bit of a game changer for myself because it isn't a website platform specific to e-commerce. WordPress, it's an amazing platform, but it's a jack of all trades in a way you can do whatever you want with it. So unless you have like um, really strongly like coding background, you probably won't be able to use it to its greatest abilities. But Shopify is really, you know, created for someone like myself who has this like side hustle in mind that just wants a platform that is specific to product uh, getting it in people's hands, things like that. And they have really great customer service and stuff like that will help you get your page to be like just the perfect landing page for the, the ideal customer that you want coming there to make sure that they're having the best UX experience and they're checking out, they're buying your product, they're coming back later, things like that. So mm. and it's definitely just about breaking down those steps. So again, I start with social media, start getting a falling out there, you know, get reach out to like um, some sort of designer if you don't have design experience yourself, or you can even go on Canva. It really depends on how, you know, editorial you want this to look, but Canva has some really great resources there too. If you just want to design something simple that you can do yourself, um, Canva is something I use all the time for uh, like my social images. So yeah, I would just say break it down. And also just, there's so much hype right now. And I see it a lot with people being like, I started my business six months ago and I've made $3 million. Like it, it's not going to be like that for everyone. I know. And it's kind of daunting. So <laughs> you're like, what am I doing wrong? Cause I'm not at that point yet either. And I think people kind of feel like they're failing. So they're not hitting these like amazing stories of like, I went from broke living in my car to a millionaire within a year. Like <laughs> those people exist and that's an incredible story, but it's not going to happen for everyone. And it doesn't mean you're not doing a good job because you're not, you know, expanding at that rate. I would just, you know, keep in mind, like you're going to be wearing a lot of hats. So you're going to have to develop your social, um, develop your website, develop your product itself. You're going to have to, you know, look into shipping, figuring out how you're going to do that. 
um, you know, work with influencers. If you want to build your brand that way, like learn social media advertising, if you want to go that way, email marketing, things like that. So there's a lot of different ways you can get like the word out about your product. But I would say, just break it down, start with what you're comfortable with. If you understand Instagram really well, then start an Instagram page. If you prefer to do like a Facebook community page where people can come in and comment, like start what with what you know, and just expand outwards. There's so many resources on YouTube. There's so many free classes through Google that'll teach you like Google analytics, teach you how to start a YouTube channel. There's so many resources out there that are free. It'll help you get started too. So don't feel like just cause you don't know something, you don't have the right to do it. Like I wasn't a hairstylist. I just was a frustrated event planner <laughs> who wanted a solution. I couldn't find it for myself. So I just created one. And those are usually the best like founder stories. Um, same with a woman who starts Spanx. Like she just wanted pantyhose that gave her control top that didn't have feet on it. And she couldn't find it. So she made it herself and look at her now kind of thing. So yeah, I think it's always yeah. the best uh, stories and best products come from like a frustrated consumer who couldn't find it for themselves. I, I love that phrasing about finding your wolf pack and starting yeah. that community <laughs> before you even launch your product. There's this common conception, and, and I thought this way too, that you had to have a product first in order to launch a company. But your advice is like, start the brand first, like start building awareness, start getting feedback. What does your wolf pack look like? And, and who's <laughs> kind of the, the dirty blonde target customer? It's so funny because I feel like they find me sometimes. Like I, I sell quite frequently throughout the month, but then I'll have like customers reach out and send me like videos of them applying the product and talking about how much they love it. I do notice one thing I wasn't considering when I was started. It was like new moms or moms of young children. Like their mm -hmm. mornings are so hectic. If they're able to save. 45 minutes by not having to wash and style their hair like it's just such a godsend for them so that was one thing i didn't consider when i started i think when i originally started i pictured someone like myself you know someone who's very like career oriented who wanted to go to the gym before work wanted to spend more time doing things that made her feel productive versus getting herself ready for the world mm -hmm. so that 45 minutes meant i could go for a run i could go to like a workout class i could get caught up on emails before heading into the office for the day I could do things that made me feel more accomplished versus, you know, just prepping myself to look good. <laughs> and also I have very long hair and I want to take care of it. So I know washing it less, I was going to do that for me too. So I thought originally it was myself and anyone who kind of resembled what I needed. And I did see like those women kind of come forward and be like, this is awesome. Thank you. But I did see like my mom come over and be like, oh my God, thank you. <laughs> mm, <laughs> my mornings yes. are just so much easier now that I have like dry shampoo to work with. And I feel like now that everyone's staying at home, it's like, who wants to wash their hair anyway, right? Exactly. And that was a concern too. I was like, I don't know if my sales are going to dip now because people don't have to actually go outside. It's not mm -hmm. as noticeable. They haven't washed your hair. But again, so many Zoom calls are taking place that you want to look presentable. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> yeah, it still exists for sure. So when you talk about like all natural ingredients and products, did you have to go through any like regulatory hurdles to launch your products? Yeah, there's definitely, there's a few websites you have to go to apply to list out the ingredients that you're using that needs to get approved. It is different for the States versus in okay. Canada. So just listeners forewarned about that, but there are some great coaches out there that'll walk you through it uh, who help you apply to get all these applications done as well. And I think for us, it's all natural. It's really leaning into, you know, carrier oils and essential oils, products you could find right in your kitchen in terms of powder bases and things like that. Um, basically, if you can eat it, it's pretty much all natural. It's not going to taste very good, but <laughs> if it's safe to consume, it's safe to go on your skin sort of thing. It, it comes down to simple too. There are some like petroleum jelly and things like that too, like Vaseline. Uh, a lot of dermatologists agree that it's fine to use, even though it's not considered an all natural product. Things that are made in small batches, 
usually are organic in that way as well, because they do have an expiry date on them. So they're not made to, you know, sit on a shelf for two years or go through a huge shipping regimen. The beauty industry itself is very hard to regulate. And a lot of the issues too have to do with like allergens. Uh, so it's not necessarily the ingredient is bad to use on your skin, but it, it does have a higher chance of having an allergic reaction to it. Do notice that like, you know, when one product is no longer allowed to use, they might use an even harsher chemical that's similar to that product, which is even worse to use. And so the industry is always trying to catch up with itself in terms of like what's being put out there and what are people reacting to. So again, I'm not an expert. This is just what I've been reading in my own time. So like, I do take it very slow with what I execute too. In terms of my own products, I do want to make sure that you know what I'm putting out there is something I would use myself and I would give to my friends and I do deem safe. I do take my time to make sure that, you know, the ingredients that I'm investing in are, you know, simple, all natural ingredients. It's easy to find that you can look into. I mean, that's huge that, you know, you're making your own products from scratch. So last time we spoke, we were talking to about how drop shipping has taken off recently, mm -hmm. where you as the brand, like you're not the one manufacturing the product and you're almost like white labeling another product that someone else has made. Has that come up a lot in your business? There has been a bit of distrust in buying from a new company that you may not have heard of before. Because there's been so many drop shipping issues going on in terms of, you know, someone might have a website where they're selling, you know, X amount of products, but they actually aren't selling them. It's just like a plugin um, mm. that sale goes through that plugin into the manufacturer who may be like in a different country and may take a couple of weeks to ship to you, may show up, you know, not looking anywhere near what you thought it was going to be in terms of quality. So it definitely does cause issues. And there are some really great drop shipping companies who, you know, have gone in and like done their due diligence and researched what the product is, you know, is it like a... A high quality product that's worth the investments because drop shipping kind of took away that anxiety of having to like accumulate a high quantity of items, store them in your home and wait to sell them because there's mm -hmm. that fear that it might not sell. Right. But drop shipping kind of yeah. takes that anxiety away of like, I'm just going to set up this site, plug it into these like five items that a manufacturer's carrying. And instead of like making 80% of the profit, I'm only going to make 10 to 20%, but it's like a passive income in a way because I don't have to deal with shipping. I don't have to deal with storing it. I don't have to deal with inventory, any of those things. So I think that was really the strong appeal for drop shipping was to you mm. know start creating these pages. And then you just kind of had this passive income going into your account. You could handle like the social media, the website maintenance, things like that, but you didn't actually have to handle the inventory part of it. Uh, from what I've been reading, it's become a very crowded market. So I'm not really sure if it's something that's going to you know, survive long term. I think sometimes it's easy to spot too when you're going on certain websites because there might not be a cohesion in what they're offering. It might just be like really <laughs> random items because <laughs> they're able to mark it up enough that they make some sort of profit off of it. But you can start to notice when it's a drop shipping site versus someone who like legit creates the products or like has them in-house and ships them themselves. How big of a challenge is shipping for you? Because I know having lived in Canada, shipping is so expensive. It is very expensive. That was a frustrating thing when I started. It was actually, so I live in Toronto and I had a friend of mine who lives just outside of the city, about a 45 minute drive. And then I had a friend who lives in LA and they both bought dry shampoo from me. So LA is very far from Toronto and it was cheaper to ship to LA than it was to Oakville, which is about 45 no minutes way. away from me. I think it was like a $4 price, like difference. And I was like, it's insane that to ship to wow. the States is generally just a flat rate across the board in terms of what it's going to cost. Hmm. Um, but with Canada, it varies so much. And it really depends too. If someone lives in like a rural area that, you know, shipping doesn't mm. go out there that often, it becomes more expensive. Um, so it was frustrating, definitely trying to be like a proud Canadian brand, but having the Canadian market be the most expensive market to serve in terms of shipping. 
Yeah. I was using Canada Post for the first year, and then I was introduced to a platform called Chit Chats, which is a lot cheaper. Um, I've had a really great experience with them so far. It's in walking distance from where I live. I go there every day. I think mm-hmm. her name is Susan. I waved her. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, she. Um, they've been really great there too. And uh, what I love about them as well as when I was using Canada Post to ship before, I wasn't getting tracking to the States. So it was hard if I had someone in the States buy from me being like, I haven't got my package yet. I'm like, it's on its way. Here's a photo of it. When I dropped it off, I just, I, I wasn't given tracking information because uh, mm. Canada Post didn't offer it at that tier. Or when I moved over to Chit Chats, I now have tracking information that I can give to uh, people in the US, which just makes the experience a lot better for them in terms of they know when the package is gonna arrive because they get that email notification mm. letting them know, here's the tracking number. You can track it up into the day that it arrives at your doorstep. Mm. It's been a really great you know, relief for everyone there too. Yes, I'm great. I never heard of Chit Chats. Is that, are they like a FedEx slash UPS kind of service? Uh, they use both. So like, it's basically like a plug into my site. So when I get mm. my orders in for the day, I go in, I log into Chit Chats and it pulls in, um, it pulls all the orders through from my Shopify page and it just kind of like breaks it down for me. Like USPS will cost you this much. UPS will cost you this much. FedEx will cost you this much. And you kind of pick uh, the tier that you want. And then yeah, you drop it off at their location. They have little bins like, okay, who did you buy through UPS? Drop your packages in here. And you kind of drop off because when you're looking at it, when you import the list, you pick obviously the one that's going to get there within a reasonable amount of time. That's also the cheapest. So you kind of go through mm. and pick out each one, pay for the shipping, print it off. And then when your packages are ready, you go to the store and just kind of drop them off in bins. It is a, a cheaper platform. I think it was about on average nine, eight to $9 to ship with Canada Post. And now it's about six to seven dollars using chit chat. Mm. So I did have some cost savings there. Yeah, that adds up for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's talk about how you manage your time because you also have a day job on top of this. So is it just like whenever you have some downtime every day, you'll work on it, or do you carve out like okay, evenings and weekends is is like my business time? Usually pre-pandemic, I'd spend like some time in the morning. Uh, before I had to work and then about an hour at night, you know, packaging whatever orders came through that day. So my morning was kind of catered towards, you know, getting my social post ready for that day, uh, answering emails from customers with questions. And then at night was all about getting the packaging ready for that week. And then the weekends is usually when I, you know, package everything in terms of getting the products ready again, uh, any sort of inventory that's depleted, I get it stocked back up over the weekend. Uh, lines have definitely blurred since going into the pandemic. I think mm-hmm. working from home, it's kind of hard to like, define what is me time versus like what is work time. Usually I try to spend one to two hours a day on it. And usually like my Saturdays are the days that like I get everything cleaned up, everything organized, ready for the week. It's hard. It's definitely hard because there's definitely weeks you feel kind of burnt out by everything. There's other weeks where you're just like full of energy and just can't wait to get started on stuff. So I think that's another word of advice for people is like, you know, if you're feeling a bit depleted, it doesn't mean give up, just means you need a bit of a break. Your brain mm. needs sleep, it needs rest in order to yeah. come up with those creative ideas of like what you can do next. So it's mm. just like kind of a warning sign to yourself, like go for a run, take a nap, watch Netflix, just take a day <laughs> to yourself. You don't have to do it every single day. Um, when you start to feel that burnout, it just means you need a bit of a break, but it's not a bad thing. How are sales and orders looking right now? Good. They've been consistent. Um, another great thing too, is basically have a Facebook marketing expert that I meet with once a week who helps me with all my social ads, you know, really mm. um, gets me to understand how to create like a sales funnel. I um, mean, such a difference. So they've been pretty consistent, especially going into 2021. So I've been seeing a bit of an uptick there. So I do recommend if anyone does have a Facebook page, um, go into your ads manager account. There is 
uh, a link there where you can actually set up time to work with a Facebook ads expert. It's free of charge. Um, they'll meet with you about once a week and basically just go through your, your ads account, see what's working for you, make suggestions, kind of get you educated on aspects of ads manager you might not know. And if anyone who's logged into ads manager, it can be quite daunting. <laughs> it's the easiest platform to use. But once you start to understand its functionality, um, notice a huge uptick in your ads there. And they also do just give you advice on ads that might work best for you, keywords that might work best for you, um, target your audience, how to pull in a list from your website so you can target a lookalike audience from that. Really great things there too. They also just make sure little things like uh, there's been a huge upgrade in their API configuration. So yesterday I had a call with my Facebook ad expert. He just went on my backend to make sure that my API configuration had been upgraded correctly. So I didn't lose out of any of those conversion tracking methods that they have. Things goes a bit over my head sometimes, but it's really reassuring that he's there to explain it to me and just to make sure that everything's, you know, functioning at its highest capacity. That's a great tip. I think I got an email once from Facebook being like, hey, like I'm here as like a Facebook ads manager, but I wasn't sure if it was spam or if it was like, yeah. I had the same reaction too. So I had the initial kickoff calls, like, why not? Let's just see what this is. And he's like, okay, let's book our next call. And I was just like, well, how much does this cost? He's like, oh, this is free of charge. I was like, you guys should put that in bold wow. <laughs> Yeah. And you I mean, I guess like they know you're going to spend money with them, right? So I guess it, it is still in their yeah. benefit. So my friend's like, I don't get why they do that for free. I'm like, but if you think about it, if you understand your ads account better, you'll invest more money into it. And mm. I think the biggest issue right now, because it's not a very clear backend, it's no fault of Facebook, just it can do a lot for you. So it's kind of like mm -hmm. you're logging into something and there's just, it's like seeing a lot of data at once. Like, I, like the analysis paralysis sort of aspect kind of happens to you, but having that Facebook ads expert walk you through it, make you feel confident in what you're doing. You start to spend more money on those ads. So they see an end result that's monetary for them as well. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so what, what are all the like buckets of things that you spend your time on? And is it just you right now? Plus your Facebook ads expert? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just me and Mark from Facebook right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think for me, social has been a huge part of it. I think um, looking at my Instagram, I think that a lot of my leads come from there. And that's something I took into consideration going to 2021 was what I was doing in terms of like my Facebook posts, my social posts, the emails that were going out to consumers, what my website looked like and where I wanted to go. Because originally it was just this idea of like, I want a dry shampoo that where you could come in, you could pick your shade, pick your scent, have it be a completely personalized experience to you. And then it kind of it brought in from there and this idea of like, well, what does it actually mean to be dirty? What does it mean to use products that kind of like prolong the life of your skin versus scrubbing it clean all the time? And I really want to branch out and kind of have this more of like an editorial educational aspect to it versus what I was doing, so I was like going through my Instagrams, like, okay, this looks like a 13 year old girl's like Instagram account. So it was just like <laughs> things I find funny, things I find cute. Oh, this references hair, so I'll use that. But there was no cohesion in terms of like what my website looked like, what my social looked like, what my emails looked like going out to consumers, you know, what the voice was kind of like disjointed. So going into 2021, it's like, okay, I really want to like hunker down and figure out a cohesive voice across, like, what is this brand about? So then I kind of went through my Instagram and like removed posts that like weren't really about adding value, but they kind of took off because it was like a funny meme or something like that, but didn't really speak to the brand and then really started adding in these like editorial images with like long copy at the bottom explaining, you know, um, what are essential oils? What are they used for? Because I used to sure people understood what, what ingredients I'm using and why I choose to use them. Or this idea of like how to take care of your skin or, you know, is it lazy to use dry shampoo? And it's like, no, you're actually just like giving yourself more time to get things done that you want to do. And it's actually better mm. for your scalp. It's better for your hair. Like, taking those myths away of what it means to use soap, what it means to, you know, you bathe with really hot water, 
things like that, just like educating at the same time, but giving them like a beautiful image to look at. <laughs> Cause I think Instagram <laughs> yeah. is kind of like that idea of like everything kind of has a bit more of an editorial look to it now versus what it mm-hmm. was a few years ago when it came out. So having that cohesion yeah. there, making sure, you know, the people I was following were, you know, following back with me and engaging with me, like really taking consideration. I think people really want to have just high numbers. They want to like have 10,000 followers. But if you go on their account, there's like little to no engagement. So mm-hmm. they're following with them aren't really their target market. So it's just a vanity metric that doesn't really mean anything. Mm-hmm. So again, like making sure who's following you is like, who wants to buy from you? Who wants to learn more from you? You know, who's liking and commenting and saving your posts, things. I do it all the time, even with my stories. I'm like, hey guys, I really want to introduce some new products in terms of, you know, the clip I'm wearing right now is now available on my store. So I actually had... Uh, in my story, I put up a few photos of clips that I had sourced that I thought were cute, but I wanted to get, you know, my consumer's opinion too. So I had them vote, like, do you like this one? Do you like this one? And they told me yes or no. Someone messaged me back and gave me feedback of why they think I should go in this direction versus another. And it's just really great getting that real time connection with them, but also their feedback. So I can make sure what I'm offering them is what they want through stories. You can really just collect information about what your consumer wants to see next. It's always great to have that one product that took off, but if you want to build a brand, you've got to think, okay, what is in alignment with this that a, the consumer would also want to use. Gotta love that Insta community. Any like Instagram tips you want to share? Like maybe around like finding your target audience. Do you use hashtags? You know, how did you initially kind of set up that community? It changes so often with Instagram. So I hate, you know, trying to come off like I'm the expert because I'm always trying to keep up, up with like this algorithm and where it's going. But mm. I've noticed like in terms of hashtags, they still are valuable if you use them correctly. If you people kind of got caught in this trend of just using the same, you know, 30 hashtags, they would have it, you know, saved somewhere on their phone, copy and paste it in and like call it a day. But I feel mm-hmm. like the algorithm is about picking up on the fact that you're just using the same ones over and over again. And mm-hmm. they may not be like actually catered to what that post is about. I'm right. always trying to use unique hashtags each time that are relevant to the copy and to the photo itself. But then also it tells you too, when you're choosing a hashtag, you know, I might type in dry shampoo, which might have like 3 million posts associated to, which is a very high touch point, which means I'm probably going to get buried because that's like a huge <laughs> amount. But then if I put in like dry shampoo hack or um, dry shampoo, all natural, there might be just a post that only have like maybe 20,000, which is like a better mm-hmm. for my market. But if you break it up and choose, you know, three hashtags that have, you know, um, 3 million keywords associated with it. Then you go down a tier and you try to find hashtags that only have, you know, a hundred thousand associated with it. And you go down to a third tier and you pick hashtags that maybe have a thousand to 10,000, you know, keywords associated with it. And then that way you're kind of targeting all three of those levels in terms of Mm. going viral. Also using reels right now, I think there's a huge competition between Instagram and TikTok in terms of content. TikTok Mm -hmm. is something I'm such a laggard, but I got introduced to just like a few months ago, but I'm obsessed with it. I think it's amazing. It's <laughs> you can amazing. lose a lot of time on there. Um, but I think it's just genius in the way they've um, allowed you to absorb content really quickly. And I think Instagram's now trying to, you know, compete with that. So I do notice I uh, only started posting a few reels on Instagram, but they do take off pretty quickly. And I think it's just mm. that competitive nature. And it's also new to the platform. So I think they just haven't found a way to like curb it yet. I found sometimes things take off and it's kind of like the wild west and then they come in with this algorithm that kind of causes it to die down a bit so they haven't mm. done that yet so I think- we're coming towards the end of our time but i do want to ask you a little bit about how you stay sane on top of everything because you've got your day job and you've got dirty blonde and all your personal stuff what are some of your favorite ways to stay healthy and stay sane 
for anyone who has that like entrepreneurial mindset, you always kind of need an outlet that's just yours. I think you feel probably the same way with this podcast, just having something that's like your own little baby. People always ask me like, where do you want to go with 31? Do you want to be the next like billionaire? I'm like, yes, that would be amazing. But at the same time, it's an outlet for me. It allows me to like test new skills, develop new skills, you know, work on my creativity, work on my writing. So even if it stayed the way it is right now, it's still doing so much to me because I've learned so much that I can apply to my day job. For a really long time, I was considering, you know, going back to school and doing my MBA. Um, and those programs are expensive. Um, oh, yeah. So if you took that money and just invested it into a business idea, you probably learn the same amount that you would, you know, being in class every day, but you could walk away with a very successful business at the end of it. Um, mm. So there's things to consider there too, but there's so much value in terms of just educating yourself when starting something like this. So never feel like it needs to be this million dollar idea, um, especially within the first year. I think that, yeah, we see a lot of those success stories, but it's not for everyone. Those are very rare occurrences that those take place. And doesn't mean you're not doing a good job because yours didn't explode the way, you know, what you're hearing in the media, because it doesn't have to. Um, in order to like stay sane, I think that's a good question. If anyone has advice for me, I'd love to know. <laughs> I think for myself, I set goals for myself each month in terms of like, okay, what do I want to sell this month? How many new customers do I want to get through the door? You know, where do I want my social ads to be? I'm considering redesigning my label. So reaching out to designers who could help with that, making sure I understand the direction I want to go with this. Again, I touched on, I want to go to like a more like editorial educational voice. So like sure that it really speaks on behalf of what the brand represents. Just taking like your goals, be like, okay, six months from now, I want to be here. So in order to get there, I need to break down like these five pillars into something smaller. What are those things? You know, where am I strongest? Where do I need support in? And never feel like you can't, you know, offload something to someone else. Sometimes we're like, oh, I could just teach myself how to make a YouTube channel or like how to design a logo on Canva. I could just teach myself how to do this or understand metrics. You can, it's going to take up a lot of your time though. So if you have mm -hmm. the ability to, you know, bring on someone uh, just to handle that one task or pay someone to do something, if you do have the ability to do that, I recommend that too, it's just a huge time savings for you. And it helps move things forward a lot quicker so you don't feel stuck. And I touched on it earlier in terms of like burnout or feeling like you're doing too much. It's okay to take a step back. It's okay to take a few days off or a week off. You know, there's been times where like my social hasn't been updated for a week because I have too much going on in like my day-to-day -day life that I just can't put it into, you know, dirty blonde at that time. It doesn't mean I'm giving up on it. It's just me acknowledging, you know, this is where I'm at this week. I'll get back to it next week. But yeah, it's a really like ebb and flow. It's never going to be this perfect projection up of you like figuring everything out. I think we've all seen those like memes where you like, you think life is supposed to go like this, but it's actually just like a big score line that goes <laughs> everywhere and you can't oh, yeah. predict it at all. You're trying your best, you know, constantly consulting other people too, uh, but what they would do and make sure you're consulting the right people. Like I have, you know, people I've talked to about my business before who I felt like didn't understand it, didn't understand what I was trying to do and kind of like shot it down in a way. And if I had just listened to them, I would never would have tried. Um, mm. So thank God I didn't. And I think it's okay to kind of, if you have an idea, like you can keep it to yourself for a while, let it kind of grow in your brain, build confidence with it. Think of the direction you want to go before you start like pitching it to people. It's your idea. Not everyone's going to understand why it's valuable or why you think it's going to be successful, but you'll find that target market eventually. So mm -hmm. if you do have an idea, reach out to someone who's maybe already started something similar or, you know, here's pitches all the time. So they're just kind of accustomed to that versus, you know, your best friend who doesn't really know a lot about <laughs> what you're trying to do, who might just be like, that's kind of weird that you'd want to spend so much time on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, your business best. What I've found through interviewing a number of entrepreneurs now is that there isn't like one way to do business. I mm -hmm. think the way you framed it as like an outlet for yourself to be creative and learn new skills, like that's so important, whether or not you do that on top of a day job or you're doing it as your full hustle.
Like there's not one way. If like you spend a year on something and you've lost interest in it, like there's still so much you've gained in terms of like educating yourself, you know, whether it be social media, whether it be creative design or inventory management or dealing with vendors, like there's just so much you've gained from that. So it's never like, you know, a failure. Like you could have easily gone and taken a course and paid a university to teach you how to do something and it would have cost Mm -hmm. you more money or the same amount. Mm -hmm. Um, And another thing too, is people uh, to keep in mind, like when you start a business, like you're not going to have like a ton of profit out the door. You have to invest in it. You have to spend time on it. You're probably going to see, you know, yourself go into debt (laughs) probably quicker (laughs) than you'll see like a profit come through. So keep those things in mind too. Just make sure you're financially in a place that you can like handle that. I think people Mm. get really stressed about like, especially when you're trying to sell like a physical product, like buying a ton of inventory and then housing it. And then they get stressed about how much money they spent on that inventory. So it might take some time to move. So just find that balance that works best for you where you're not losing sleep over how much money you just spent. Cause it's not a, a safe space to be mentally. It's not something, it's not worth it in that regard either. So just take it slow. Yeah. It's a journey. Oh my gosh. You've given so much amazing practical advice. I hope I, so. Sometimes I, I go yeah. off on tangents. I hope this is valuable to someone. I think so. Especially for anyone looking or already starting a D2C or a physical product brand. Do you want to share how listeners can find out more about you and Dirty Blonde? For sure. So Instagram's the best place to follow me right now. So the handle for Dirty Blonde is just dirty underscore blonde underscore T-O and T-O is for Toronto. Or you can email me at whatup at dirtyblonde.ca if you have any like specific questions you want to ask me, feel free to reach me there as well. Cool. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us today, Laura. I can't wait to share this episode. Can't wait to listen. Thanks again to Laura and thank you for tuning in. I'd love to hear what you got out of this episode. Take a screenshot of the podcast and if you want a picture of where you're listening from and tag me on a story on Instagram at Inside Out with Jane. I'll be back here next Tuesday with our next guest and in the meantime, chat with you online. Bye.